Well, thank you, music team. That was wonderful. Thank you, Justin and Roberta. Ah, wonderful to sing those wonderful songs to get our hearts ready to hear God's Word. Well, welcome to Grace Bible Church Gainesville service for September 17th, 2023. September 17th already. It feels like it was just September 1st. I was just telling my wife that we were in Minnesota a few weeks ago and September 1st rolled around and here it already is, September 17th. Oh, time goes by. But I'm glad to be here and it's always a blessing to be able to share God's word with y'all. And this Sunday, we're, we're going to let Pastor Brandon take a break next Sunday as well. So today we'll head back into the Psalms. It's on these Sundays where we, we just like to take a step back and take a breather from Pastor Brandon having us climb us through the book of Matthew and the, and the King and His glory. And we've been climbing for a while with the nine-step, the King's nine-step program to true happiness. And it's been such a blessing it's always a blessing to go verse by verse through God's wonderful Word and, and just having His truth just soak into our heart. And so today I pray that you'll be blessed as well as we head back into the book of Psalms. Hard to believe, but it's been five weeks since we looked at Psalm 19. And today we'll walk through Psalm 20. And just a quick refresher for us. I always say quick. We'll see how quick it is. But a quick refresher as we head back into the Psalms, and I felt led to preach through the book of Psalms, mainly because the book of Psalms has life. It has the blessings and the struggles of life. It's just woven throughout each one. And so all through the Psalms, we can find joy and sorrow. We can see sin and repentance, trust and doubt. And so when we read the Psalms, we, we can see ourselves as we read because all of us are, are going to struggle from time to time as we move forward in our, our Christian walk. We're going to struggle with these heart issues because we all struggle at times with joy and sorrow. We all struggle at times with sin and repentance, and we all battle at times with trust and doubt. And so the book of Psalms was written by real men with real heart struggles that we can identify with. We could even say that Psalms are the, the life worship book of the Bible. Life struggles, we all have them. And so because of this, we're thankful for the Psalms because again, it helps us in our walk with Christ and our quest to be more Christ-like. And again, it helps us because we get to see a real person going through a real issue, everything we go through, and then that helps us to be able to see how they made it through and then that, that gives us hope. And the hope is that when life hits us hard, and it will, when life brings us to our knees, we read the Psalms and they help us look up and we see God the Father in all of His glory. And we also see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in all His glory. And that gives us the strength as, as this fallen world just knocks us down, we can keep getting up and we can keep moving forward. Because we're focusing our eyes ahead on Him. And really, that's the purpose of the book of Psalms. That's what they're all about. The book of Psalms, it, it, it's really calling us to a life of righteousness and a life of praising and trusting God. Let me repeat that. The book of Psalms, all 150 of them, 
are here to call us to a life of righteousness, of praising and trusting God. Praising God is just woven all through the Psalms. So the book of Psalms are structured, they're really designed to give us tunnel vision. (laughs) They're designed with the mindset that says, this is the kind of life we want to pursue. This is the kind of life we want to run after. We want to chase after a life of righteousness, of praising and trusting God. Also, as we walk through the Psalms, what we're doing is we're connecting with God's people that lived some 3,500 years ago. And even though that's a long time, there's, there's still a connection for us in these 150 Psalms with God's people. God's people that lived and died. These are these people that, that lived and died and they chased after His righteousness. They tra- tra- chased after the righteousness of praising Him and trusting Him. And so as a little review, a little more, if we go back and remember Psalm 1 and 2, Psalm 1 and 2 are not the first two Psalms written, but they were placed at the beginning of the book of Psalms for a reason, and a very good reason. Because they're like two giant gates that swing open to the other 148 Psalms. I like to picture two enormous gates, like the ones in Jurassic Park, or if you're a movie buff, King Kong. These two massive gates of Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. And what, when Psalm 1 swings open, what does it do? Well, it tells us that there are only two ways. Only two roads that we can follow in life. There's not three or four roads we can follow, but just two. There's the way of the wicked, and there's the way of the righteousness. And the way of the wicked leads to destruction and eternal suffering. But the way of the righteous... At least to eternal life and blessing. And verse 6 of Psalm 1 tells us so much. It tells us so much about the rest of the book of Psalms. Psalm 1 6 says, For Yahweh knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. 1 6 tells us so much because it tells us that, that God knows which way or which road that we're on. We better know it as well. We need to know which road we're on and we need to be on the road of the righteous. Because one six says the righteous are blessed. And they're blessed because they love God. They love His Word. And that God will protect the righteous. And that He knows them intimately. So there's an intimate relationship there between God and His people. And so He protects and He provides for His people who love His Word. But the flip side... The flip side is that he also knows those who are on the way of, or the road of the wicked. And we don't want to be on that road because they will perish. Yahweh God will judge everyone who hates him, who hates his word, and wants nothing to do with him. And then we have Psalm 2, this other massive gate. And when it swings open, what does it tell us? Well, what it tells us is that we need to worship and honor the Son. God's Son. Psalm 2, verse 12 says, Kiss the Son, lest He become angry, and you perish in in the way. For His wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in Him. And so what we see in God's Word is that, that these two roads will either lead us to a person or away from a person. They're either leading us to the Son And who's the Son? Well, the Son is our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And it calls us to love Him. To take refuge in Him. To take salvation in Him. We must turn to the Son so that we might be saved. And when we do, He becomes our refuge, our rock, our fortress, our everything. This is whom this book leads us to. The Word of God, this Bible, is a living book. It's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart. And so Psalm 1 and Psalm 2, these, these massive two gates that open up to the book of Psalms, and it opens with Psalm 1-1, with how blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. And then, it, and then Psalm 2 ends with verse 12. 2-12 says, how blessed are all who take refuge in Him. So we don't walk with the worldly wicked for salvation. No, we take refuge in Jesus Christ and we will be blessed. And that's the good news. That's the gospel. And the good news is that these blessings are available to everyone. Not just for the elite. They're they're not just for pastors or theologians, but they're for everyone. And so we enter through these massive gates. Psalm 1 and Psalm 2. And as we walk through the rest of the 148 Psalms, what do we find? Praise. We find so much praise for the Lord. It's just woven or, or, or interwined everywhere throughout the Psalms. There's so much praise. In fact, when we look at the last Psalm, Psalm 150, we can find the word praise 12 times in just six verses. And the very last verse, verse 6 of Psalm 150, ends with this it says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord is the last phrase in the book of Psalms. It's a, it's a wonderful book. And so with all that, all that review, now let's walk through Psalm 20 today. Last time, like I said, we walked through Psalm 19. And next to Psalm 23, really Psalm 19 is one of the most familiar Psalms. And we saw that the very last verse of Psalm 19, verse 14, David wrote this. In 1914, David said, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Yahweh, my rock and my redeemer. So right here, right here, we actually get to see David chasing after a life of righteousness, of praising and trusting God, just like we are. David is one of those connections that we can make with God's people that lived a long time ago. We can still connect with David. And all God's people have a bond because we all struggle in the same ways. So as we now move to Psalm 20, David has some pressing business to attend here. If you have your Bible and you already haven't turned to Psalm 20, I invite you to do so. Here in Psalm 20, we're going to see that, that this was written a little different from David's other Psalms up to this point that we've gone through. The title of today's sermon is Praying in Confidence. Praying in Confidence. David will show us that we can pray with confidence. And as we read it, notice it's not just David praying here. there's, There's more going on in this psalm. So let's read Psalm 20 together. And again, I'm reading from the Legacy Bible. Psalm 20. And God's holy word says, For the choir director... A psalm of David. May Yahweh answer you in the day of distress. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. 
May He send you help from the sanctuary and uphold you from Zion. May He remember all your meal offerings and find your burnt offerings acceptable. Selah. May He grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your counsel. We will sing for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May Yahweh fulfill all your petitions. I know that Yahweh saves His anointed. He will answer Him from His holy heaven with the saving might of His right hand. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of Yahweh, our our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. Save, O Yahweh. May the King answer us in the day we call. And that is the reading of God's Word. And so let's go to the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are here to learn from Your Word. And Lord, we are here to pursue righteousness and to praise You and glorify You. We pray that Your Spirit will be our teacher today as we walk through Psalm 20. And Father, I ask that You forgive me my shortcomings and preach a better message than I have prepared. And Father, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, Psalm 20 is sometimes called and often called the royal psalm. A royal psalm because it's about King David and his military battles. So it's about King David, who at this time was the second king of Israel. And so as he's the earthly leader of God's people, and here he's preparing for battle. And again, we see here in Psalm 20 is, we see that David is, is not just the one praying, but we really see a congregation or a bunch of godly people praying to God for their king as he leads about to lead the nation into battle. What we have here is a, a couple of prayers by a large group of people who are petitioning the Lord for success as their king goes to battle. And then sandwiched in between is we see David, David's prayer. So how does the battle come out? Does David and Israel win this battle? Well, you'll have to wait until we walk through Psalm 21 to find out. But, as we walk through Psalm 20 today, it it breaks down into three parts. First, we have part 1, verses 1 through 5. We see the prayer of the people. The prayer of the people. Second, in part 2, we see in verses 6 through 8, we have the confidence of the king. The confidence of the king. And then third, in part three, in verse nine, we see a final prayer of the people. A final prayer of the people. So Psalm 20, we have the people praying for David and Israel's success. And then we see a man after God's own heart. We see David, just who is is he putting his faith into and his trust into. And so we see a confident king. And then finally, we have one last prayer of the people. And so let's dive into this psalm, Psalm 20. First, the prayer of the people, verses 1 through 5. So look at verse 1. It says, May Yahweh answer you in the day of distress. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. So, as the nation of Israel, as they're lining up, they're getting ready to head out to meet the enemy. They have their armor on, their swords and their shields are ready. 
They have their horses and chariots in a row. They're ready to go to war. But before they do, a large group of people gather around the king and they pray. And they all say this prayer in unison. And they begin with, may Yahweh answer you in the day of distress or the day of trouble, it says in the ESV. I like to stress better because the people aren't so much worried about whether King David will return. They know that God fulfills His promises, but they're very distressed because how many men of Israel will come back? Because war is a horrible thing. And some of these men will not come back. And the people and David understand this, and so they're they're praying that David, as their king, as the leader of the Israeli army, that he'll be able to look to Yahweh for wisdom. And then he can make quick, split-second, good decisions, make smart maneuvers during the battle. And so as the believers, we know that God is with us. And that He loves us. But that doesn't mean we won't, we won't always have trouble or distress in our lives. And even though we might need to, we may need to make split-second decisions like David does on the battlefield, we still need to look to our Lord for guidance and wisdom as we live our lives. And this is what the people are praying for here, that that David will be a good leader in the battle. That he will trust God for a good battlefield strategy. So back here in this time, the king of the nation, the king really represented the people. The people really had their identity in the king. The king represented all of them. And the king led them socially, militarily, politically, And so when we look at Psalm 20 as a whole, we can see that in this verse, verse 1, and then in verse 9, these are really like bookends to this psalm. What we have in verses 1 and 9 is we have the people, we have them praying for the king that Yahweh answer him, and when he asks for wisdom, they want Yahweh to answer him and save him when he's in danger. And notice just who it is the people are putting their trust into. It's not David in verses 1 and 9, but it's in Yahweh God. This shows a change. It shows a change in Israel because if we study Israel's history, this is a change from when Saul was their king. Remember King Saul? He was selected by the people to be Israel's king. God didn't select Saul, Israel did. Because Israel wanted a king like all the other nations. They wanted a king, so the people chose Saul. They chose Saul because he looked like a king. He fit the part. But God chose David. But the people didn't really want the kind of king that the Lord wanted because David, he was just this little humble servant. No, instead, Israel wanted, they wanted a king like the rulers of all the other nations. A man who would glorify in himself and in his own abilities. And so, then God let the people give Saul the crown because he looked like all the other kings around him. Saul looked very kingly. But they were looking outwardly. And we know that God looks inwardly. And so back then, the people had rejected God's lordship. And then they put their trust in Saul. They put their trust in Saul to lead them. And that didn't go too well for Israel. But notice now, with God's man, David, wearing the crown, the people are now putting their trust in Yahweh more than the king. Why the change? Well, it has a lot to do with David. Because the people have come to see David always giving the glory to Yahweh and not to himself like Saul did. 
As their leader, David has showed them that, that, that he is nothing without Yahweh God. That without God, he can do nothing. And the people have noticed that. They've noticed that David, a man after God's own heart, that he's a man of prayer and a man of devotion to Yahweh. And that's affected them. And so as the army's getting ready to go out to battle, and no one really knows for sure what battle they're getting ready for, the battle for which David and Israel are heading out for here, but most likely it's one of the many battles we see in 2 Samuel in chapters 8 through 10 that David led Israel through. And so what we see here in 2 Samuel chapters 8 and 10, and really all throughout the Old Testament and Israel's history, is when we, we find God powerfully taking care of His people to save His people from their wicked enemies. And the people know this, and, and they trust and pray the truths that are spoken in this psalm. And it's all done to encourage David. It's to encourage him as he confidently goes into battle on behalf of Yahweh. And the people understand just who it is that they need to, to trust here. And, it, and it's not David. It's in, it's in God. And they need not fear the enemy because Yahweh is going to be with them. They're living out the truth that the battle belongs to the Lord. If God is with us, who can be against us? So first, in verse 1, the people petition. They say, may Yahweh answer you, King David, in the day of distress. And your troubles in the battlefield, may God give you wisdom for the battle. And then the last part of verse 1, it says, May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. Well, this is a different way of calling on the name of the Lord, isn't it? I call God the God of Jacob here and not Yahweh. Why would they do this? Why the God of Jacob? What's that mean? Well, to Israel, the first big three patriarchs of the Jewish people are Abraham, his son Isaac, and then, Jacob's, and then Isaac's son, Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And if you remember Jacob, he was a guy who, who fooled his old father Isaac, who had bad eyes. He fooled him for a blessing. Jacob pretended to be his older brother Esau, and he fooled his father to get the blessing that should have gone to the older son. So why would the people here in Psalm 20 refer to Yahweh as the God of Jacob? To defend David. Why would this be an encouragement to the king? Well, if we go back to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 28. In Genesis chapter 28, we find Jacob, who again is the grandson of Abraham, the second son of Isaac. Isaac had two sons, born minutes apart, Esau and Jacob. And so the father's blessing should always go to the oldest son, so here it should go to Esau. But Jacob tricked his father, and he got the blessing. And his older brother Esau was not happy. And so, Father Isaac sends Jacob on a trip. And so when we read Genesis chapter 28, we see Jacob is traveling, but as night comes, he lays down at a certain place. Jacob pulls up a rock for a pillow, and he goes to sleep. And remember, he has a dream, and he had a dream about a ladder, a ladder that reached all the way to heaven, where angels were descending and ascending. But then in Genesis 28 and verses 14 and 15, Jacob hears God say this to him in his dream. 
Verses 14 and 15 of Genesis 28, God makes this promise to Jacob. He says, Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the south and to the, and to the north. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. And it was here that Jacob suddenly realized that God knew all about him. That God knew that he had tricked his dad into giving him the blessing that should have went to Esau. You see, when we look at Jacob's life, He was a a bit of a skunk. He was a weasel. Because he was always scheming. He was always using his own sly methods to get ahead. But it was here, after this dream, that Jacob realized that God knew all about him. That God knew about his mean streak and all the times that he had bamboozled people. That he was a weasel. But, we're so thankful because God also knew that deep within Jacob's heart that he had a longing for spiritual righteousness. And so Yahweh, God, began to mold Jacob's life for the praise of His glory. And Jacob's life was changed forever. And he went from being a skunk to trusting in his own schemes to trusting God and His truth. And again, aren't we glad that God uses flawed men and women for the praise of His glory? And so Jacob went on to have 12 sons. And those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel. You see, God knew every detail about Jacob's life. And it's the same with you and me. God knows every detail about our lives. But He still uses flaws people. And so He calls us and He changes us all for the glory of His honor. None of us have anything that makes us stand out to God. It's Him, His grace, that, that, that changes us from, from living for ourselves and trusting in ourselves to living for Him and trusting in Him. God can see into our heart, and even though we're all flawed, He can see into our heart and know whether or not we crave righteousness. God knows the way of the righteous and He cares for His own. And so back to Jacob, God made a promise to Jacob and He kept that promise. And he kept that promise because Yahweh always keeps his promises. And so going back to to Psalm 20 and the end of verse 1, by referring to Yahweh here as the God of Jacob, the people are are remembering back to that night and Jacob's dream and God's promise. They're they're reminding David of of the Lord God's sovereign power and that he will always keep his promises. And so by praying to the God of Jacob, they're, they're praying to the God who keeps His promises and who will never leave His people. And for Israel, their king really lived out God's promises to the nation. And also, David knows that Yahweh God made him a promise as well. God made a promise to David back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, and verse 12. God promised David that he would have a son who would come after him and who would sit on his throne. In 2 Samuel 7.12, God said this to the prophet Nathan. He told Nathan to go tell David this. God said, when David's days are fulfilled and he lies down with his fathers, so when David grows old and he dies, 
It says, God will rise up His offspring after Him who shall come from His body, and I will establish His kingdom. And that offspring was His son Solomon. And then in verse 13, God said this, He, that Solomon, shall build a house for My name. And Solomon did end up building the temple. But listen to this at the end of verse 13. God says, And I will establish the throne of His kingdom forever. That's a weird statement because Solomon didn't live forever. So how can this throne be forever? Well, God is speaking here about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because our Lord and Savior will one day, still future, He will come back and reign from David's throne. So back here in Psalm 20, how comforting do you think it is for David to know that as he's getting ready to go out to battle, he remembers that Yahweh God not only made a promise to Jacob and kept it, but also that He made a promise to him that he's going to have a son who will one day rule his throne and that his throne will be there forever. That Messiah will rule and reign from his throne forever. And so for David, as he's about to go out to battle, he has the promise of God that when the battle is finished, his throne is still going to be there. Which means that Israel needs to win. Not because David is so great, but because Yahweh, God, is so great. David knows that Yahweh God is going to be there. He's going to be leading him as he leads Israel. So then how can he lose? Losing doesn't even seem possible. Because again, God always keeps his promises. That's a blessed assurance and an encouragement to David. And now in verse 2, the people go on. In verse 2, they say, May he send you help from the sanctuary and uphold you from Zion. So for the nation of Israel, what does the sanctuary in Zion symbolize? Well, Zion is another name for the capital city, Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem is located on Mount Zion. And located in Jerusalem is the sanctuary, the tabernacle. And later on that spot, Solomon is going to build God a permanent house, the temple. But at this time, it was the tabernacle. And that's where Israel would offer up sacrifices to Yahweh to cover their sins. And also, that's where the Holy of Holies was, and that's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And so all this means is that the sanctuary was the visible symbol of God's presence and the promise to Israel that He would live in their midst. This was their hope. This was their source of strength because Yahweh dwelt with them in Zion and in the tabernacle. And so as King David is about to go out to battle, this is to remind him that God is with him. He's in the midst of them. And now in verse 3, they go on, they say, May he remember all your meal offerings and find your bird offerings acceptable. Have you noticed how many times we see the word may is used in this psalm? The word may. Why do they use the word may so much? Well, remember the people are praying. They're actually petitioning to Yahweh to go with David, the king, as he goes to battle. And so they're using this word may because, again, may is a petitioning word. May is a word that we use when we ask for permission or we ask permission from someone that can grant us that, right? We ask, may I go now or, or, or may I have some more? May is desiring something from someone that has the power to grant it to us. And so the people are asking Yahweh to be with King David because God's the only one who can grant what they're asking. So we see the people here are using the word may seven times in this psalm. Seven times the people are asking God to grant them something. And here in verse 3, they're letting David know 
that they've prayed to Yahweh so that he may remember all your meal offerings and find your burnt offerings acceptable. And so in order for the people to ask this, they must have seen David doing his sacrifices. They must have witnessed him making his sacrifice in the tabernacle as he was ready himself and his heart for this battle. And what they saw was, they saw a man who has a right relationship with Yahweh. They saw King David, who they know is a mighty warrior. He's a mighty warrior for the Lord. He's a man after God's own heart. What they saw with this king is they saw, they saw their king bow his head. Bow his head to Yahweh. They saw the king humble himself to God. And that showed them that even though he's king, even the king still needs help, still needs strength, still needs protection in battle. It showed that David has a total dependence upon the Lord. And that he offered his sacrifices in this complete submission to the will of the Lord. And so they're praying to Yahweh God on behalf of the nation for the king to support him as he prepares to go out for battle. You see the solidarity, the unity going on here with the people as as their hopes are tied with the Lord and the success of their king. I mean, God is with King David as he leads, but it's, it's through the king that God is leading. And so the king better be right with God. He needs to be able to pray and ask God for wisdom. He needs to know what he's going to do. If he should advance, if he should step back, if he should move to the right or move to the left. The king needs the wisdom of Yahweh for Israel to win. And here in verse 3, the Legacy Bible reads meal offerings. And some translations that you have, it might just say offerings. There are, there are a few different ways to offer sacrifices to Yahweh God, but really they can be condensed down to two. There was a sacrifice offering with blood, and there was an offering without blood. A blood sacrifice or a meal sacrifice. The blood sacrifice was a sin offering. It was for, for making amends for the sin. It was an offering for the covering of their sins. And there had to be the shedding of blood. Because sin always requires death. To atone for sin, there had to be the shedding of blood. An animal had to be killed and the blood had to be shed. And then it was burned on the altar. And the shedding of the blood, this burnt offering, showed how serious that sin is and it showed a total surrender to God. An offering with blood. And then there was a meal or grain offering with no blood shed. A meal or grain offering would be wheat or barley or some very high quality of flour. It was more of a tribute to God from a faithful worshiper. It really was the fruit of that sanctification. And so the meal offering was sacrificially offered to Yahweh God in thanksgiving and and then it was given to the priest for the purpose of ministry. And the people here must have witnessed David. They must have saw him doing both of these offerings. So they pray, may he remember all your meal offerings and find your burnt offering acceptable. So before Israel went out to battle, we see them in worship to the Almighty God in total submission to Him. And then at the end of verse 3, we see this word Selah. This word Selah, found only in the poetical books of the Old Testament, It shows up some 71 times in the Psalms, and we see it three times in Habakkuk. 
And no one really knows what it means, but most likely it's a term which had a meaning in the musical realm, like a pause or take five. It's a pause in the voices singing while the instruments continue on alone. Selah, a pause. So if we were singing, we would pause and let the instruments perform alone for a moment. And now, in verse 4, after a pause, the people continue with their request to God in prayer. In verse 4, they say, May He grant you your heart's desire and fulfill your counsel. So, so what do you think King David's heart's desire would be right now before a big battle? Well, I would think David's heart's desire would be to trust completely in God to lead his army well. So for Yahweh to give him wisdom and that his war strategy is well planned out and it fits with God's will. It says, and fulfill all your counsel. It says they're, they're, they're praying for David's generals and his advisors that they're all in line with God's will as well. And then the people end this prayer with, with these requests to Yahweh for, for David in verse 5. In verse 5, they say, we will sing for joy over your salvation. And in the name of our God, we will set up our banners. May Yahweh fulfill all your petitions. So did you notice that the battle hasn't even started, but they're already singing for joy over David's salvation. We will sing for joy over your salvation. They're so confident in God that King David and Israel are going to win. That they're coming back. That they're victorious. They're so confident that they're warming up their voices. And it says, In the name of our God, we set up our banners. We're ready to set up banners to celebrate the victory. And in whose name are they doing that? In the name of God. We're all united together with you. There's a complete unity here. And all these banners, these, these, these flags, these flags of defiance to the enemy, they're like tokens of triumph to God's glory. And these banners aren't going to say, we celebrate King David's victory. No, it isn't. It isn't. We're not going to see David is great on these banners. No, these banners, they're giving glory to Yahweh. They're banners that say, glory to God for the victory. Praise God for the victory. We're confident in God who is going to give you, King David, the victory. That's who we're confident in. And then next they say, may Yahweh fulfill all your petitions. They're saying, they're saying hey David, we've, we've prayed our petitions. We've, we've requested to God for you. We've asked God for you. We've prayed our prayers before God for you and what we asked of Him. We're hoping that He fulfills some of your petitions. Is that what it says? No, it says He fulfills all your petitions, that He fulfills all your requests. So what this is telling us here is the people are confident of this because God hears and fulfills His promises. The people know that God cares for and keeps His own. And who are His own? Well, it's those who have a desire in their heart for spiritual righteousness. It's those who are on the way of the righteous. Those on the road of the righteous who love and obey God's Word. So what do you think? What would a prayer to God on behalf of the king like this do for David? Well, let's see. He's got a whole group of people who are 100% behind him. They keep reminding him that God keeps his promises. They've reminded him that Jerusalem is 
where the sanctuary is and where God has chosen to live in the midst of them. They've reminded him that that his yet-to-be-born son will sit on his throne and build Yahweh a permanent house to dwell in. They've reminded him that, that he has honored Yahweh and humbled himself by his sacrifices. They've reminded him that if he remains faithful and puts his trust in, in God, his battle plans will be successful and he will win. So don't you think that that would embolden David? The people's prayer for God, for him, should encourage him and help him to go out and fight with courage and confidence. King David can head out for the battle with a sense of confidence that he's ready to conquer. You know, sometimes being a leader is a very lonely, very isolating, difficult job. But here, David, along with the people of Israel, they're all in unity. They're all behind him as he heads into battle. And so what this shows us is for a leader to rise up to the occasion during distress, it's easier if the people that they're leading openly pray and openly unite and their support behind him. We see this, we see this courage, this ability to rise to the occasion. It, it, it's a pattern we see all throughout Scripture. We always see if God is with us, who can be against us? Who can defeat us if God is for us? And so the point one was the prayer of the people. Because of this prayer, it leads to point two. We see the confidence of the king. Verses, eight, verses six through eight. The confidence of the king. Here we'll see how does David respond to this prayer of the people. Let's look at verse six. David says, Now I know that Yahweh saves his anointed. Notice the change. We see the I, it's no longer we. David speaking now. Now I know that Yahweh saves his anointed. David is answering the people's prayer to Yahweh with one of his own. So how do we know who is God's anointed here? Are we sure that David is God's anointed? Well, back in 1 Samuel chapter 16 in verses 10 through 13, in 1 Samuel 16, 10 through 13, it says this, And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? He said, there remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, send and get him, for we will not sit until he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise, anoint him, for he is, this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David, on David, from that day forward. So David can say, now I know that Yahweh saves his anointed. Because he is God's anointed. God saves, he delivers his anointed. And what's interesting here is the word anointed in the Hebrew can also mean Messiah. The anointed one. And we know that our Lord Jesus is, is Yahweh God's anointed one. In fact, the Hebrew word save is yasha, which is the same root word for the name of Jesus, Yeshua. To save, rescue, to deliver. The word save is found right in the name, right inside the name of Jesus. Yeshua, to save. And that's what he did. He saves us from our sins. And then David goes on in verse 6. He will answer him from his holy heaven. So who's the him here? 
Well, it's God's anointed. So Yahweh will answer. This means that God is aware of what's going on and He takes care of His own. And where does God do this from? From His holy heaven. This means that God hears and sends help from His throne in heaven. So Yahweh, He will answer. He will send help from holy heaven and from His throne, but how will He do it? Verse 6. The last part of verse 6. With the saving might of His right hand. The saving might. That shows Yahweh's unlimited power of His right hand. The right hand is always used to show the strength, power, and justice of God. So David is saying here, I know the Lord saves. He will answer and He'll show His strength, power, and justice. So before, the, before a battle, there can, be, there can be a lot of fear. There can be a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of uncertainty of what's going to happen. But here David is saying to the people who prayed to Yahweh for him, it's help-centered me. Your prayer has helped me. It's centered me. It's focused me. That it's, it's helped me see that Yahweh is with me. That He's all-powerful. And I know as I head out to battle, I can do nothing but come back victorious. And then in verse 7, David says this, Some boast in chariots, some in horses, but we will boast in the name of Yahweh, our God. So what is King David putting his trust in? <laughs> well, it's not his chariots or his horses. No, he's putting his trust in the Lord. Other, other kings, they love to brag about their military power. And so they put their trust in the human strength. But not David. He's, he, he's going to brag about the Lord. His trust is in Yahweh. His faith is in Yahweh. And so what would you rather have? Help from a mighty army or help from the Almighty God? Well, we know David's answer. But we ask today, what do, what do you trust in? What or who do you put your faith in? Also, there's a difference between, we ask the question, is there a difference between faith and trust? Well, they're very similar, but faith is a belief in, a devotion to, an allegiance to, a loyalty to, and trust is a reliance on or confidence in what we have our faith in. So really, trust is the very root of faith. And God shows Himself to be entirely trustworthy. He gives us so many reasons, so many reasons to trust Him. That's why we can put our faith and our trust in God for the future because of what He has accomplished in the past. So the essence of the Christian faith is to believe God and to trust Him for our very life. David says, some boast in chariots, some in horses, but we will boast in the name of Yahweh our God. You know, it's interesting in Isaiah chapter 31 and verse 1. Isaiah 31, 1, it says there, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. <laughs> Woe to those who put their faith and trust in human strength and human might. So why is King David so confident of victory? Because he says, I go out in dependence. It's not me or our human strength. It's not in our horses and our chariots, but I'm trusting and I'm depending on the Lord, our God. 
In fact, look how sure David is of victory. Look what will happen to the king who is putting all of his trust and his horses and his chariots. Look at verse 8. David says, they collapse and fall, but we rise and stand up. Verse 8 is in past tense. It's like the battle has already been fought and Israel has already won. We can almost see David and the army of Israel just standing over the enemy. The enemy who has put all their trust and faith in their horses and chariots. They've collapsed. They're defeated. They're laying on the ground. David's saying that the outcome is so certain that I can speak of it like it's already happened. It can't be changed because God is in this and I'm so certain of the outcome. So sure that I can describe it as finished before it even happens all because of who God is. Nothing but victory can come between now and then. That's the confidence of the king. So the first part of verse 20, we saw the prayer of the people. We saw the prayer of the people to Yahweh for David. The second part, we saw a confident king. Confident not because of his greatness, but because of God's greatness. And now the third part, we see a final prayer of the people. A final prayer of the people. Verse 9. It's just a short, it's a real compact prayer, but it's, it, it, it's just packed with trust. Look at verse 9. Save, O Yahweh, may the king answer us in the day we call. Some of your translations here may have in verse 9, it may start off with worded a little differently. The ESV has verse 9 as, O Lord, save the king. But in the Hebrew, the true reading starts off, Save, O Yahweh. And the reason I bring this up is because the main thought of this short verse, the main idea of verse 9 is all summed up in that first word. Save. Save. It's Yahweh save. Yahweh deliver. And also check to see if your translation is using a capital K on king. The king should be capitalized for king here because what this short prayer by the people is showing us is that verses 1 through 8, we have an interaction between God's people, the people of Israel, and their human king David. He's about to go into battle. So they're praying to Yahweh for, for David, their earthly king. And they refer to a king as it's David. But here we have the people praying. They have the, they're saying this, Save, O Yahweh, may the king answer us in the day we call. So here in verse 9, they're not referring to David anymore. The king they're referring to isn't David. So who are they referring to? Well, here the king is Yahweh God. They're calling upon Yahweh. So they're not asking David to turn around as he goes off to battle and answer their request. No, they're referring to Yahweh God as the king. They want this king, the one true king. It's the king to answer them in the day they call. So what are the people doing is they've turned their attention from their human king David to now recognize the ultimate king. And how can we be so sure of this? How can we know this for sure that this is what the people are doing? Well, we asked the question, has Yahweh ever been called king before? And he has. If we look at Psalm 5, Psalm 5 and verse 2. Psalm 5, 2, David says, give heed To the sound of my cry for help, my King and my God, for you I pray. Also Psalm 10. 
In Psalm 10, verse 16. Psalm 10, 16, David said, Yahweh is king forever and ever. Nations have perished from his land. So back here in Psalm 20, what are the people saying? Well, even though they love King David, and he is a great leader, and he's a fierce warrior, and they support him, but they're not asking David to save. They're asking Yahweh to save. May you, the one true king, answer us in the day we call. So they're not asking for human king to respond to them. Because there's only one king that can truly save them. There's no earthly king who can truly save them. They've been asking, may, please, God, help save us. God is the object of their faith. And what they what they're put their trust in. Their whole trust has been put in Yahweh. And so right at the end, the last verse, after, after, after talking about this human king throughout the entire psalm, here in verse 9, the people bring it to a climax to show where it is their ultimate trust is. And what they say is, may the king, the one true king, answer us when we call. So Psalm 20 ends with this amazing statement of faith and trust in the all-powerful, supernatural God. And they ask him, in one concluding word, just one word, save, deliver. May the one true King in whom we have placed all of our trust answer all these requests, all these prayers that we've made before Him. So as King David and his army march onto the horizon, this is the final prayer of the people. And it's save. The prayer of the people. The confidence of the people. The final prayer of the people. And so, as we conclude, as we wrap this up today, what can we take from Psalm 20? I mean, we're, we're not praying for a king who's about to go into battle. So what can we take away from this psalm? Well, there's really, there's really four things we can take from Psalm 20 for us here in the year 2023. And the first would be that we really need to pray for our leaders. It tells us that in the New Testament in 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. It says that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions. And I'll admit it, this can be hard. It's hard to pray for leaders who don't know God or disrespect God. It's difficult to pray for leaders who are leading us down into deeper darkness and deeper sin. And I know for me that's difficult, but if we really think about it, if, 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 if a king like David, a man after God's own heart, who's under covenant protection, needed prayer, how much more desperately should we be praying for the mercy of God on those who don't know him? for those who have no interest in Him and no promise of His protection. So we can, we can pray for our leaders. Second, we saw here a united people who were all united together for their king. We saw people who actually looked beyond their own interests and looked at the big picture, and then they all joined together for the care and welfare of someone else. And this is what the church should be all about. We're to love, serve, and pray for one another. We're not here only to look out for our own interests and needs. Because as members of the body of Christ, being in this church, we're to love, serve, and pray for one another. And then thirdly, we are in a battle. But not in a battle of flesh and blood. But we're in a spiritual battle. 
And in order to stay strong and stay faithful in this battle, we need to place our trust and faith in the Lord. So that means we live each day remembering the great promises of God. That way we don't have to live in fear and anxiety. We need to pray to God. We need to pray for His protection, for Him to deliver us, and having total confidence that He will. And then fourth, and very important, even though we don't have an earthly king like David that will go out and fight the battle for us, we do have a greater king. Our greater king, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Lord Jesus is, is the greater king who has already won the battle for us. And so like Israel, you know, Israel, they identified with David before this battle. They did it because that meant his victory would become their victory. And so for us, we identify in our King and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And through his death on the cross, through his resurrection, through his ascension, and the promise to return, we get to identify with his victory over sin, his victory over death, his victory over the world, his victory over Satan and hell. And so just like Israel got to do when when King David came back from the battle victorious, the people shared in that victory. They got to share in the joy and the jubilation of the victory. So for us, we in Christ, we get to in a much greater way because the battle and the victory that Yahweh God has won, we get to share in the spoils of that victory. Because God in the person of Jesus Christ, through His amazing mercy and grace, has brought us into union with Christ. And now we identify with Him. Our identity is in Him. And He identifies with us so that in the same way like Israel could rejoice in King David's victory, we again in that greater way because we identify with our King who is the King, the King of Kings, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We can now rejoice in His great victory that, we, that He has won. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this psalm. For this psalm, Lord, and who it points us to, your Son, Jesus Christ. Father, we can pray to you for victory because you have already won. Father, we pray that because of this, we can have confidence to walk our Christian faith in faith, and trust in You. Father, help us to be more like Your Son, our great King, our Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.